0: I'm Daniel Chacon. Welcome to another edition of Words on a Wire. Today my guest is Pulitzer Prize winning poet Tracy K. Smith. She is not only one of the greatest living poets today, but uh, she is also a former U.S. Poet Laureate. That is She spoke poetry for the entire United States of America. She spoke for us in, I don't want to say a poetic voice because that sounds too fluffy. She spoke to us in a fundamental voice. When a good poet or a good writer really seeks to reach for something, some unity, some beauty, some element of wholeness when a writer seeks even you could say the mind of God to use Einstein's term when a writer seeks that and learns the craft knows the craft and has interacted with other voices knows poetry then that writer can reach levels that well that deserve the Pulitzer Prize and so I'm very happy to be able to talk to her today Well, I say today, but actually this conversation took place a while back. She was passing through El Paso and got a chance to sit down and talk to her. She um, was doing a reading here, a debut of her translated book of poems, Wade in the Water, translated by our own Andrea Cote Botero, our own meaning that she teaches here at the University of Texas, El Paso, in the Department of Creative Writing, which is the best creative writing department in the world. And I could truly, truly argue that, but I won't right now. I'll get back to my conversation with Tracy. I met her in her hotel lobby right before her reading. And we got a chance to sit down. I got some professional uh, recording equipment, the kind kind that real journalists use. And we sat down and, and we talked. And it was a great conversation. I think at the time because I still tend to get uh, nervous around people that I deeply admire. I was a little intimidated, so I probably just went on automatic pilot. I had this list of questions, and I think uh, the, a list of questions for somebody who does uh, interviews is, is probably not always a good thing. I think it's a good thing to have a list, but maybe not to stick to it, to let the conversation grow organically. And so we sat, and inevitably we ended up talking about the ineffable. After our interview, we walked over to the student union where she did a a huge reading, very well attended, um, beautiful reading. She read her poems in English, and then Andrea Cote Botero read them in spanish and it was a beautiful evening afterwards there was a reception and tracy she just glows she's just a a marvelous uh, person to be around one of those you know you know how you can sense energy in people sometimes that may sound weird to some people but i think most of us understand that you could just sense the energy in certain people and she had that energy and afterwards we went out to dinner, a bunch of us, uh we we showed her a true El Paso dinner. No, we didn't take her to the Allen J Cafe. No, we didn't take her to Lucy's. We took her to Valentines, which has an really I think their approach to tacos and these Mexican staples, I think are fantastic and creative and delicious. And it was a good time. It was a good time. So the idea was that I. This was back in I think. uh Well, it was it was the spring semester when she was here, right before we even knew what COVID nineteen was. Before, when Corona was simply a kind of beer that we either well, that we didn't drink. I didn't drink. I didn't like Corona that much. But actually, now that I think of it, I'm, I, I kind of want to drink one now because it does have a unique taste. Anyway, I'm not here to advertise Corona or Valentine's. We had, I was going to um, come to the studio, do the intro and the outro. This is last spring before COVID and, and then air the show. Well, I was going to add poetry. I was going to have Tracy K. Smith read and then Andrea Cote Botero read. But anyway, the pandemic came. The pandemic came and the KTEP studios were shut down for non-essential employees. And I am, first of all, not an employee of KTEP. I do this because I love to do this. Um, But it was shut down to non-essential employees. And of course, I was non-essential, so I couldn't finish the show. But uh, after several months, we went through uh, that lockdown in April, which was incredibly weird. But after several months, I decided. Well, I can't wait anymore. Not not just for this interview, but for to join this show, to do the show. And so I got some. Uh, I got a, a professional microphone. I got the headphones. I got, you should see my. You should see me right now. I'm in my home office, and it it looks like I'm doing a podcast. I know there's more sophisticated uh, equipment for, than what I have, but hey, I'm, I'm happy with it and I'm happy to be here. And I'm happy to finally share this interview with Tracy K. Smith, who, like I said, turned out to be an amazing human being. And you're going to feel that. You're going to hear it in her poetry. You're going to hear it in her voice when we have this conversation. After we play the interview, we're going to hear Tracy read a poem, Wade in the Water, which is the title poem for the book that was translated into Spanish by Andrea Cote Potero, and then we're going to hear Andrea read that same poem in Spanish, and then after that I'll 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 come back and I'll say goodbye. So stick around and listen to Tracy. Smith. First of all, let me welcome you to El Paso. Thank you. The El Paso Juarez. Is this the first time you've been here? This
1: is the first time.
0: Oh, well, I'm yeah. glad we finally got you yeah, to Yeah, me go. too. Uh, I don't suppose you're going to have time to visit Juarez this time around. Oh,
1: no, but I need to come back. Yeah. I yeah. didn't realize exactly how close we were.
0: Right, so, yeah. So, um,
1: definitely. Yeah, support. out my
0: office window, uh, Juarez is so close that if I, you know, were measuring only distance, it would be Quicker for me to go to Juárez to eat than it would to the cafeteria. Oh wow, <laughs> That's, That's how close amazing. It is. But welcome to El Paso, and I'm, I imagine I was thinking about interviewing you today, and I thought I bet you have had multiple, multiple interviews, and I was wondering, do you remember a time in your life when, like maybe in like in a month period, that, where you just had. Many, many interviews?
1: <laughs> like, oh, yes, I do. It was like the week that the Poet Laureateship was announced. That was in, in 2017. June of 2017. Wow. And I remember one day just sitting at my desk and taking interview after interview. Wow. And it was kind of terrifying and also <laughs> it made it feel like a real beginning yeah. of a new a new moment.
0: Do you like doing interviews? Um,
1: usually I do, yeah. yeah.
0: And what about um, what? I mean, having done so many different interviews, what is one of the most common questions you get?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, um, I guess it depends on the setting, but um, often those formative questions, like when did you know that you wanted to become a writer? When did that? Um, During the project that I did as Poet Laureate, the question why rural America came up a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, And that was interesting to unpack because I think I was... Developing that answer uh-huh. as each of those trips happened.
0: Well, you grew up in Sacramento, didn't you? I grew up really
1: close to Sacramento.
0: Oh, yeah. but in a in a smaller town. In a and, smaller yeah. town called Fairfield. Okay, yeah, I, I'm from Fresno. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I imagine that one of the most common questions would be, "How did you get into poetry?" Or, or a lot of times when I ask a, a writer, a poet, "How did you find poetry?" They they often say uh, segue with. Uh, well, poetry found me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know if I ever <laughs> I ever used that. But how did poetry find you, or how did you find uh, poetry?
1: I, um, I was in college and at a stage of life where everything just was overwhelming, you know. Uh-huh. Um, at home, my mom was going through right. an illness, and at school, I was away from home and just trying to figure out who I was and what I was supposed to be doing and I fell in love with the poems that I was reading in one of my classes. 20th century poetry finally made its way into the syllabus after like weeks and weeks. Do
0: you remember uh, particular poems?
1: Uh, I do. Well, you know, I haven't really said a whole lot about um, D.H. Lawrence, but we read The Snake. And um, I thought, oh wow, this feels so, so living and, and frightening and familiar. Um, and later that month, we read Seamus Heaney's uh, Digging mm-hmm. and uh, maybe some other poems from Death of, the, Death of a Naturalist. And that, that is the work that really gripped me and made me want to do what he did.
0: And, and so what did that when you started writing poetry? That's when I started,
1: I mean, I did write poems when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I wrote rhymes when I was younger. I've always loved language and right. playing with the voice. But it was at that moment that I realized poems could help me understand what I was doing and what I was witnessing. Right. Um, poems were not just ways of describing and expressing, they were right. ways of thinking, answering, wrestling. And that was a kind of lifeline, I think.
0: You know, one of my favorite lines in one of your poems is from a poem that's called um, uh, Don't You Wonder Sometimes. and there's a girl looking out the window and looking at the stars and and sensing that there's something elemental behind it. Mm-hmm. And and I'm wondering, like, how... Do you remember, like, a, a very early experience where you just kind of knew there was something out there that was somehow ineffable, but you wanted to reach? Because the, the, the great line, by the way, is where you say, uh, you know, that... Uh, I'm forever a child looking out the window at night, at the night sky, thinking that one day I'll touch the world with bare hands, even if it burns.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I grew up in a household that was always talking about the out there in different terms. The the cosmos, well, not the the cosmos, but God, Okay. (laughs) you know, forever, the afterlife. That was that was like a real topic of interest in my family because of our faith. Right. Um, and then there was the out there of the white world uh-huh. and the way that you need to be in that world. The things that you, you can leave behind from that world when you come back home. So uh-huh. that was another sense of distance that I think was just ingrained in my mind somehow. Um, but I was also, you know, there was a big difference in age between me and my siblings. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of time to myself and I really do remember standing, we had this um, like a storm door, you know, mm-hmm. screen door with glass. I and, remember
0: those. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I remember often like st- at night standing and looking out at the neighborhood, but also trying right. to see past that, but also seeing myself. And somehow that conflagration um, intrigued me. You right. know? It, it spoke to those other things and then it something spoke to something that seemed like it was inside of me.
0: And and is that what you do with your poetry? Is it like you you try to kind of go there somehow? You try to discover what is beyond that, I guess, veil or beyond that uh,
1: sky? I mean, I don't know that a poem can ever do that, but that's what I'm seeking to do. And when I feel like I'm being surprised or instructed by what happens in a poem I'm writing, I feel in part like that's what I'm doing. Um, and I know I have that idea of the beyond is still really important to me for different reasons. Now my parents are both deceased, and mm. I just um, I persist in this wish to feel connected, to right. feel like there's a, a reason that we're here and they're there, and so poems help me try and work that out
0: a little right. bit. So it sounds a lot like, uh, uh, not to reduce it to you know some sort of, you know, easy phrase, but it sounds like that poetry is poetry is both spiritual, but it's also, in a sense, it's it's uh, what I guess Einstein would call searching the mind of God or looking for the mind of God somehow. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think of it as a, a spiritual, creative, rigorous process mm-hmm. of listening out and listening in.
0: Right. Do you meditate?
1: I think that's my form of meditation.
0: Oh, yeah. Writing poetry? Yeah. It is a
1: quiet, sort of spacious zone.
0: Right. And I imagine when you first started writing, you were good at it right away. Well, I thought
1: I was, but I've looked back on some of that stuff, and I think I just had very kind teachers who yeah. encouraged well, me. Well, I'm sure there,
0: there must have been some naive poetic assumptions or assumptions about poetry, but nonetheless, you had the knack for it because, uh, I mean, you know, clearly you had the knack for it, but I'm wondering at what point did you really begin to commit yourself to the craft, and 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 do you have any great teachers that uh, that just kind of really changed your 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 whole... Well, changed your poetry? Oh, gosh.
1: Well, uh, it was close to that same time in college. I was, a, I think, a sophomore when mm-hmm. I had that discovery that I wanted to do this. And I was a junior when I was brave enough to take my first poetry workshop. Mm-hmm. And I was also engaged with a group of young people who hosted a reading series called the Dark Room Reading Series. And mm-hmm. so craft was always... Um, connected to poetry for me, right. both because of the academic classroom setting, right. but also I was talking to people who were saying, get your line breaks straight, or, <laughs> you know, you got to think in terms of the music of what you're saying, too, right. and so I was always eager to learn how to, to build poems yeah. that were beautiful and useful. Um, I've had great teachers.
0: Who are some of A your lot great of them teachers? A
1: now, but... Lucy Brock-Broido was my first teacher. She was actually a teacher at many different stages in my life. I studied with her when I was at Harvard. I studied with her years later when I was a grad student at Columbia. Uh Um, And her classroom was, I mean, she was a magical being. Her classroom was magical. And she also um, urged us to find the kind of restraint that would be useful for Mm. us. She's the person who made me understand that poetry is different impulses working Together and also against one another. So the desire to race forward into the imagination and be completely free has to be met by some kind of bound set, boundary right, setting. Right. Um, and I still feel like that's pretty um, central to my craft.
0: You know that that reminds me of um, you wrote a book called Duende. and of course, you know, when I saw that, I had to get it immediately because there was a time when I was fascinated by uh, vodka and. idea of duende and uh, but he says something about duende fights against form and i'm wondering if that's kind of what you're talking about that that you know you have to have you know duende that wants to like bust out but on the other hand you have to allow it to fight the form and not completely tear it apart i
1: think i think so like one must be willing but somehow incapable of dominating the other yeah. and it's not always those two opposing forces but you know for me um, that's at least how it began Right. Um, I love in that lecture of Lorca's where he says you know when they doesn't arrive unless death is a possibility right, right, yeah. and I take that to mean grave failure <laughs> you know or just right. wrong something
0: at stake and, yeah. Yeah, even for the poet
1: yeah. And, that makes and sense. So you set those terms.
0: And and so uh, when you're in your uh, your seminar you're, you're, uh, you have a uh, you teach poetry. Yes. Do you ever hear the voice of that teacher when you talk? Oh talking?
1: gosh, sometimes <laughs> I do. You know when I first started teaching now about almost 20 years ago, I was like trying to channel mm-hmm. Lucy's voice and the voices of other teachers that I had. Um, now I think of the classroom as a space where what's important to me gets to engage with what's important to my students, and so we can have a conversation about how to do what we're seeking to do, how to how to even choose the goals or the questions of each project. Um, I know that my perspective is still informed by my teachers, but I think it's also perhaps more informed by my experience of writing, writing poems and trying to keep feeling like i'm doing this thing for the first time
0: and and do you have a a a strict schedule in which you write i mean i wish i did
1: (laughs) i have such a crazy life now i have three Uh, young kids
0: three yeah
1: twins (laughs) two of them are twins oh my gosh
0: (laughs) that must have been difficult when they were newborns oh my gosh
1: yeah Um, And I have a really exciting um, and demanding role at Princeton Mm -hmm. in the arts, trying to build and bring opportunities for students and my colleagues. And so the days of just free time are way over. Um, but I've just gotten better at using what time
0: I have. can you ride on an airplane i did
1: yes <laughs> it's not altitude doesn't always make for like the best work, but right, it, right. it's a way of getting things started i find
0: yeah, and you're a little closer to to uh to that which is elemental yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me ask you about uh um, another question that i i i think that if if I were to ask you know uh, The students that are going to be there tonight at your reading, there's going to be a lot of poets or wannabe poets, you know, people who just love poetry. And um, I think if they were to able to ask you a question, it would be what advice can you give them? Mm
1: -hmm. I see the work that my students are are writing, I guess within the last five years, um, striving toward really important stakes. You know, they're not just describing their dorm rooms or the social interactions. They're thinking about life and death. They're thinking about selfhood in really um, dire terms in terms of power and justice and questions of race and gender identity Mm -hmm. and ability and thinking about the planet. Um, They have a lot to say and I want to urge that to find its way into conversation with something that rides on silence I don't know Mm -hmm. if that makes perfect sense but the fact of listening of waiting of being beholden to something that you don't yet know I think is so important especially when the stakes of a poem are really high Mm -hmm. that's what I'm working on I'll be working on this semester you know (laughs) thinking okay what what are we racing toward and what kind of um, withholding can make for the a more realized
0: Essentially, you you encourage them to look at the stars and wonder about them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. There's yeah. there's more nuts and bolts to it, I right, guess. Right, right. No. no um, so. I feel like we, we live in a moment where we're encouraged to have answers, only answers, only mm. um, you know arguments and theories, and I just don't think that's good. Right. And so the sense of being humble and thinking there might be something out there that is better at answering the question than you are, I think that needs to come into the, into the yeah. practice of, of writing poetry.
0: Tonight you're going to um, share some poems from your latest book, which is called Wade in the Water. And I understand this is a a title based on, a, on an old spiritual. Yeah. Uh, is it that one that uh, that goes... God's going to trouble the water. Oh, I love that song. Oh, yeah. I used to listen to that over and over and over again because that whole idea about troubling water, Mm -hmm. you know, that God's going to trouble it, you know, uh, I guess to help build your faith. Yeah. But how did, why did that one strike you so much?
1: I've always loved that song too, Um, but it became central to this book when I visited a ring shout in mm-hmm. coastal Georgia, where that was one of the pieces that the group performed. A ring shout? A ring shout. It's a it, it's a tradition that, you know, the, the spiritual comes from, mm-hmm. and it goes back to the time of slavery when enslaved blacks would come together and worship and find hope and transmit messages to one another by way of these songs. Um, and I guess it also has really pronounced ties to West African tradition mm-hmm. as well. Um, so a ring shout brings all of those aspects wow. into into the space with the songs that we all are familiar with. Ring
0: shout, that's yeah. awesome.
1: So that, once I witnessed that, I knew it was the anchor mm-hmm. that would that would keep all the other
0: poems. And, of, and one, one last question uh, about the uh, translations that Andrea Cotebotero has translated uh, uh, this book of poems. Did you work with her or did you just kind of wait to see until she was done and then look at it?
1: We worked together. I mean, I wasn't sitting over her shoulder and looking at her versions, but we talked several times over the the process of her bringing those poems into Spanish. Mm. And it's such an American book, and so much of it is rooted in vernacular right, in some ways, right. so the, I think it was The letters from the
0: soldiers during the Civil yeah. War, you... you you kept the original spelling.
1: Right. And, and so uh, she found I think a way of rendering something like that, that would that would make sense in Spanish. Right. right. Um, and yeah, it was it was really exciting to to get to know and trust somebody and say, I, I I like and I believe in what you're going to do with these poems to give them the life that I can't give them. Right.
0: Well, thank you very much for spending some time with us. Oh, and uh, next time you're in El Paso, we'll take you to Juarez. Oh, I'd love We'll that. go to the Kentucky Club. Everyone's got to go there. Yeah. <laughs> sounds good.
1: This is a poem called "Wade in the Water, and it is dedicated to the Geechee Gullah Ring Shouters. One of the women greeted me. I love you, she said. She didn't know me, but I believed her. And a terrible new ache rolled over in my chest like in a room where the drapes have been swept back. I love you. I love you. As she continued down the hall past other strangers, each feeling pierced suddenly by pillars of heavy light. I love you throughout the performance and every hand clap, every stomp. I love you in the rusted iron chains someone was made to drag until love let them be unclasped and left empty in the center of the ring. I love you in the water where they pretended to wade, singing that old blood deep song that dragged us to those banks and cast us in. I love you, the angles of it scraping at each throat, shouldering past the swirling dust motes and those beams of light that whatever we now knew we could let ourselves feel new to climb. Oh, woods. Oh dogs, oh tree, oh gun, oh girl run, oh miraculous many gone. Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, is this love the trouble you promised?
2: Atravesar el agua. Para los danzantes del círculo Gulagishi. Una de las mujeres me saludó. Te amo, me dijo. Ella no me conocía, pero le creí. Y un dolor terrible y desconocido revoloteó en mi pecho, como en un cuarto en el que han corrido las cortinas. Te amo, te amo. Mientras seguía por el pasillo entre extraños, cada uno sintiéndose de repente atravesado por pilares de densa luz. Te amo durante toda la actuación, en cada aplauso, en cada zapateo. Te amo en las cadenas de hierro oxidado que alguien tuvo que arrastrar hasta que el amor permitió desatarlas y dejarlas vacías sobre el círculo. Te amo en el agua que ellos simularon atravesar cantando esa profunda ocasión antigua que nos llevó a los bancos del río y nos metió en ellos. Te amo, los ángulos de ese amor rasgan las gargantas, empujan más allá de las motas de polvo arremolinadas en los rayos de luz, que lo que sea que ahora sabemos que es posible sentir supo trepar, Oh, maderos, O oh, perros, oh, árbol, O oh, arma, oh, muchacha, corre, oh, milagrosos tantos que han partido, oh, Señor, oh, Señor, oh, Señor, es este amor la desdicha que nos prometiste?
0: That was Tracy K. Smith reading Wade in the Water, the title poem of one of her many books of poetry, and Andrea Cote Botero reading that very same poem in Spanish. I'd like to thank everybody at KTEP. They have always been so generous to us. And I'll see you. I'll see you next time on Words on a Wire.
2: Support for the local production of Words on a Wire on KTEP comes from the estate of Maxie Templeton.